Hello, Mr. Burley. Welcome to the podcast. Um, yes, please, for the benefit of the listeners, just give a little bit of background on yourself. Introduce yourself uh, just in case there's people out there who haven't heard from you because they live in a cave or under uh, a rock or up in a tree someplace. Yeah, they must be under a rock. If they ain't <laughs> the kid. Uh, like Burley, <laughs> um, full-time martial artist, lifetime martial artist, uh, Evolver, the the uh, the Evolver of the art known as 52 Blocks. Um, I have a deep, deep history in martial arts going back to Taekwondo, collegiate wrestling, uh, boxing. And um, I, I would say the first arts I learned was Taekwondo, but the one that came next, 52 Blocks, is the major one. It's the one that uh, brought me to this podcast. So... Yes, sir. The uh, master of 52. I don't want to say master. The, uh, I'll go with seafood and coach. You know, masters, it's just so much responsibility with masters. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll say head coach of 52 blocks. <laughs> well, you, so you also, you have a, a highlight reel of yourself competing in sticking hands and all sorts of other traditional martial arts stuff as well, right? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh um, my teacher, Wilson Pitts and Roberto Sharp, uh, they kind of led me down that path. Um, you know, I seen my teacher, Roberto, doing Bagua, and I was in the Tai Chi at the time. And then he was like, nah, this is Bagua. And then I started taking the lessons, and we went into Bagua, Tai Chi, Xin Yi, uh, Muay Thai, Wing Chun. He kind of taught. Every day was different with him. That's why I love my teacher. On Monday, it was Wing Chun. Tuesday was Caparera, <laughs> Wednesday it was wrestling. So we, you know, he kind of switched it up and gave us a good healthy base. And, um, you know, I always felt that uh, competition is necessary for any martial art. Or you just got to have a be a person that gets into a lot of street fights. But the street fighting path, you know, that's not the safest way. So I would say competing is a good way to really test the side of your martial arts that's not, that can't be tested in simulation, which is your nervous system. Like people seem to forget that you have a nervous system and when you fight, it jumps into play. So um, if you haven't cured that, you won't really be able to uh, perform in real time. So yes, I've, you know, the competition was necessary. I had a hell of a fun at it. Uh, hella, uh, it, it was hella controversial. <laughs> there was a little racism <laughs> going on. It was some Chinese black thing going on. I ain't mad at them because they wanted their people to win. See, I, you know, certain racism isn't bad, you know, and, and, and I'm not going to say that word racism because the racism word is bad. But I mean, like when you're when you're a, when you're for your culture, there's nothing wrong with that. And they really wanted those Chinese boys to win. But I was on them. <laughs> Yeah, like more like nationalism than racism, right? Looking out for your people. <clears throat> uh, you broke up a little bit. I, more, more like nationalism than racism, right? Like looking yes. out for your people, right? Yes, yes, you, you, you're correct. Thank you. Let me correct that. Nationalism, mm -hmm. not racism. They had high nationalism and it was all good because that's the type of stuff that brings the best out of you. And, and competing, like I said, the nervous system is, you know, you know I'm up against this this you know this this is Chinese uh, 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 fighter and he got his family with him and they like fuck him up Wong Dong Wong Dong so you got to perform with all of that <laughs> the lights are on you it's hot in there people are screaming so 
to focus and and get and is you know is kind of uh, uh, um, uh, uh, what's that uh, Hemingway's grace under pressure. You know, working under pressure is a uh, uh, is, is what you want to practice because if you're looking at real time, that's what's going to happen. Is that your skills and technique are going to hit that thing called pressure, and if you're not ready, they fly right out the window. So you also have a little experience with street fighting as well. <clears throat> you want to talk a little bit about that? Oh yes, I you know I I got more street fights than I got tournament fights, <laughs> <laughs> and I and um I go back to uh, <coughs> my street fights. <coughs> I consider um I call it the scrapper my scrapper stage. Like during that stage. It was no uh, real technique. It was just all heart and willing to go into battle. And that is the that is the defining thing that um, I try to tell people. Is like people go to learn Krav Maga and like, you know, Israel soldiers are using this to stop people from blowing up bombs. Like it's some real serious shit. So if you're not a real serious person, you know, like if you ain't set on kill certain arts, you can't use, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, like you know, you, you have people trying to turn uh, uh, regular people into killers and you can't, you need this one thing, like they used to say in the gym, you know, we can't teach you hard. We can teach you how to fight, but we can't teach you how to enter the fight. So street fighting worked out good for me because it was all hard. You know, I had no skill, but I was not finna back down from too many fights. And um, I think the fight that changed it for me, and this is, I, I was, I was with my teachers. I was going to class like Wednesdays and Fridays. I got into this fight and I'm feeling good. Like, you know, I'm, I, I had this in my karate. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to take him to the Baja and show this kid. Like, he done fucked up, <laughs> you know? So we walk to the park. We put up our hands and we start to go to fight. And I, I tell my right leg, I said, all right, now's the time, buddy. Kick him in the face. And my right leg was like, nah, son, we ain't really training. <laughs> And at that moment, I learned what training was all about. Training is not about getting good. It's about convincing yourself that you, you'll do this under these circumstances because your brain is a powerful weapon. And you, can't, you can lie to other people, but you can't lie to the man inside your head. And um, if he don't believe, ain't shit going on. And my brain didn't believe. And he was like, nah, son, we don't really believe. So I had to scrap it out. I had to hump it out. <laughs> and... Um, he grabbed me by my shirt and hit me repeatedly with like nine punches. And by the sixth punch in my mind, I said, okay, this is it. It's over. He's winning. And then I heard this other voice like, nah, man, the fight just got good. And that was my heart. And I fought him until he threw up on himself. Like I just straight stammered to him. Like he was winning the fight, but I kept fighting until he couldn't fight no more. And that's how I won that fight. And I got this cut over my head and, um, it was my Bruce Lee moment. I looked in the mirror and I was like, I'm not going to do this. I, the only way to figure out if I can reach excellence is I got to go every day. I got to do it. can't be weekend warriors. So I started training Monday through Sunday, six hours a day. And that, that was the beginning of life early. And uh, <clears throat> this kind of competition, this blend of competition, experience fighting and street fighting has has informed your 52 blocks Indeed. practice. Indeed. Indeed. Well, I, I, I will have to give that more to Wilson Pitts. And then this is kind of, you know, 52 being, being the black man's art. 
I kind of freak people out when I tell them that uh, Wilson Pitts is really the man that helped me see it all. And they're like, well, he's white. And like, there you go, right? <laughs> Life is funny that way, right? But uh, <laughs> Wilson Pitts trained with Joe Frazier, Eddie Futch, and Georgie Ben, three of the probably the greatest black trainers ever. And he used to tell him, he used to tell me, he said, in the Philadelphia gyms, they they kill you in there. He said, but Joe Frazier used to walk in there every morning. And he'd say, hey, white boy, they treating you good in here? Because we gentlemen in here. And he said, that's what he used to say to me every morning. And he was proud of it because I've heard this story a thousand times. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because he loves telling it to me. I think he forgets he told me. <laughs> but, I, I, you know, I listen every time. And um, that uh, uh, his training that he got from there is that when I told him, I knew the 52 blocks, he, you know, he should have, you know, show me a shape. I put up my skull and bones and he put his hand on my elbow and pushed me to the ground. And he said, well, shit, how you going to block if you ain't got no balance? And he, he, the evolution began. He started showing me things I didn't learn from the street side of 52. And this is the reason why I look different from most guys doing 52. I get it all the time. Like, well, I seen this guy, Ramel doing it, which I'm connected to. And um, he was like, you know, yours look different. You know, you look different. And I was, I've always say I'm more scientific. You know, um, Ramel is more of a natural fighter. There are people who just naturally know what to do in the fight. And that's good because they're fighting people who don't know how to fight. But if he ever had to go against the style bender, we'll see how bad he really is. So there's that difference that you know, a street fight and you can get caught up in like thinking you're a good street fighter, you know, you start getting this false sense of security, but you forget you're fighting people who don't know how to fight. You walk into your local gym and the amateur 15-year-old kid will run your ass through. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, you'll learn about stamina. You'll learn about these street fighters. How long is your, the, the uh, how long is a street fight? What, two, three minutes? Tops? Tops? Like, you, Tops. Yeah, yeah. We ain't seen a half an hour street fights where you can go get popcorn, <laughs> sit down. <laughs> we don't never see that. So uh, these guys got the wind of three minutes. When you meet these young guys, you know, I just smoked weed. I'm having to spar with a dude whose lungs is like a baby virgin. <laughs> they ain't never seen no bad <laughs> shit. So he, he, he fucking me up. <laughs> he fucking me up. I'm, you know, I'm looking good for two minutes. I'm looking like Bruce Lee, but 10 minutes in, I'm looking for the exit, like somebody get this young man off of me. So, you know, you learn that there's a difference, that street fighting is good. It's the heart. It shows that, hey, you got the heart to go into the fight. Now, if you want to take it to the next level, now you got to go get the skill, the conditioning, you know, you got to go get the hard shit. And that's what Wilson Pitts and Roberto Sharp gave me that changed and altered my 52. Like, I do Wing Chun, so people always ask me, is your 52 mixed with Wing Chun? It's like, no, no, no mix, no mix. <laughs> I'm saying no mix. They're two different arts. They stand <laughs> in two different places. It's no mix. You know what I'm saying? I didn't have to, 52 didn't have to borrow from Wing Chun, and Wing Chun ain't got to borrow from 52 because we're looking at cultures. Like, we, you know, when, you know, the only time, now I'm not going to say the only time the blacks and the Chinese culture mix is, you know, Chinese got, you know, they got Chinese restaurants in the hood. <laughs> That's about our biggest mix. So it's not like, you know, that we're mixing cultures. They, everything is culture, culturalistic. So Kung Fu is Chinese culture, just like 52 is black culture. You know, so there's never been, those two don't need to borrow off of each other. Like there's no mixing of them because, you know, for some reason they believe 
you know, I guess only the Chinese people can make up a fighting system. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Nobody else has the brain to do this shit with them. Well, so it's it's interesting, just so because I know there's going to be heartache, especially with the current climate in the United States. Uh, it, you you referring to fifty two as the black man's art. Let's let's go into a little bit of history so that people understand that that's not some kind of racial dichotomy where you're trying to like push out any other race. It's the black man's art because black men founded it, right? Like that's that's what you're talking about. So let's talk a little bit about the fifty two blocks history and where it came from and what it's about. Yes. Um, fifty two started <laughs> when. Um boxers black men were allowed to compete in their first sport ever which was boxing and before that time they competed on what was known as the chitlin circuit which was 10 black men in the ring blindfolded for the masters you know uh entertainment and jack johnson fought in the chitlin circuit constant winner so how do you fight if you're blindfolded you can't fight stiff like where you can see shit happening your arms are moving you know, you kind of, it's like, how would you walk down the corridor, a dark corridor? You put your hands in front of your face and move so you can feel something. And then you know that if you ain't bumping into a wall. So you look at the Chitlin circuit, how they had to move. And it was pretty much defense before offense because you can't really launch an offense if you can't see. So you're using like the sensitivity of defense to find your opponent. Jack Johnson was a constant winner of the Chitlin Circuit, a couple of other fighters that turned professional. And um, when he turned professional, his defense was what was the shining thing that boxers hadn't seen at this time. At this point, boxing was pretty much stand and deliver. The man who can absorb the most punishment was the winner. When black fighters were allowed to fight, stuff like stick and move, hit and don't be hit, make them miss, make them pay, those, th those th um, type of sayings started to materialize because in black culture, we don't believe in taking damage. <laughs> we believe in fighting the fight and still looking pretty. Now, as extreme as it sounds, this is the culture, you know, it's the pressure of cultures that create fighting systems. The Chinese didn't just create Kung Fu. The Manchurians and the Mongols kept taking them over. <laughs> you know what I'm saying they kept running up on them. So the Chinese is like, yo, son, we got to get some shit together to fight these things <laughs> off. They keep taking our shit. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So it was a pressure that creates these arts. Just like in black culture, our ability to not want to take no punishment in the fight. We don't want you to hit us at all. We want to punch you all upside your head and make you miss everything you throw at us. That is our pressure that created our art of 52 that's built off of defense <laughs> you know and that was that was the jack johnson that's what that's what saved boxing it was black fighters that saved boxing if we weren't in, in, injected into the game boxing was on its way to being outlawed it was brutal it was masochistic it was it was two men destroying each other like it was and it was illegal it was when defense entered a la the black man that it was became the sweet science Offense was already there. Bobby Fitzmons, I forgot who he, uh, he, he came with what he called the solar plex punch, which today we know is the left hook. So offense was there. What was missing was defense. And that's what black fighters brought in. So is there any surprise that we would have a fighting system built off of not being hit? 
And and so we were just we were talking before we started recording. I'm trying to get Archie Moore's awesome. daughter on the podcast. And he's kind of he he represents this point because you get a lot of like bicep mm-hmm. control and and real interesting body movement from the early guys on the Chitlin circuit. But he represents this point where you start to tr- see the clear transition to a, a like a an arm guard that that feeds the elbows into the other guy's punches and you 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 describe that really well you want to describe why that is and where that came yes, from yes yes um archie moore he <clears throat> used what would he called the armadillo he called it the cross arm defense you know we call it rob the bank um uh what's 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 the the um the science behind it is using one arm to block and one arm to strike so it's kind of sword and shield in that way, right? You're, you know, you block with your sword, your shield, you slash with your sword, and that's with Archie Moore. Now Archie Moore, because a static defense is different. Like if you're just blocking your asses in trouble, like your defense needs to open up offense. That is a real, that is an active defense. Some people have a passive defense where they're just blocking, but they're not punching, and it looks cute. But the man that's punching is gaining momentum. And eventually, one of them things are going to get in and clip you, and then you're, you know, you're, you're sitting on Queer Street. Where Archie had a good, uh, good science was that the as he, as his rear hand crossed across his jaw to block the shots coming in, the lower hand could left hook, jab, uppercut. It was still active, and that's where he gained all of his knockouts. Archie Moore still boasts. The most knockout of it, knockouts of any fighter is past three hundred. Nobody even knows how old Archie Moore is. <laughs> I'm saying at one point Archie Moore was fighting five times a week. You compare that to these professionals, what they fighting once every two years now. <laughs> I'm saying like Archie Moore fought five times a week. So imagine the information these guys had about fighting. That's why you know my teacher he made us watch old footage because the science was deeper than then you know it's not that it hasn't matured and became better you know punches have became better things have you know evolved but the science the deepness of it was from these guys that were fighting you know 30 times 25 times a month <coughs> they had all of the science and the movements with it so these blocks were setting up counter strikes they were not made made to be just absorbing punishment but they could you look at the philly shell you know that is 52 blocks not by name of course by the name but by the principle of what black fighters brought in which was the philly shell which was catching punches with your shoulders rolling the punch you know mayweather's father does it so well he has like a a video on youtube where he's letting the boxer Throw the right hand at him as hard as he can. And all he's doing is catching it with his shoulder. He's not even moving. He just lifts the shoulder up and catches the punch. Incredible. Fucking incredible. And that's 52. That's what 52 is looking to do with his blocks. It's not to be passive defense, but active defense. And and uh, I think it was Marciano who said that that Moore was the hardest one of the hardest fights that he ever had because he he he, he said and the quote was he's all <laughs> elbows right you're just constantly running in your hands yep. into his elbows yep. 
and you've actually broken that fight yeah. down. Um, you want to talk yeah, about absolutely. that a little bit? I think there was, a, I think the shining moment, there's two shining moments in that fight for me. Uh, it's one uh, when Archie was against the ropes and uh, you could see the twinkle in, in, in Marciano's eyes, like, you know, it's on now, buddy. And he unleashed like 19 punches. I counted. I could be off, but I counted 19 and Archie rolled, blocked with his elbows. Now you got to think uh, Rocky got on gloves. So that's that's hand destruction there happening, too. I'm pretty sure not all of them, but I'm pretty sure two or three of them ran directly into the elbow. But the chin is protected. He's rolling the punches. And then the next moment is Archie, uh, Marciano throws a punch. Archie twists and catches it with his elbow, comes back with the right hand and knocks Marciano down. That is the pure essence of 52. And that one motion is catch the punch and give it back. It was beautiful. It was beautiful. Like if it, if, if Archie could actually hit hard, Marciano may not have made it out that fight and after that punch. Um, but that is the essence of, you know, 52. You even look at someone like Ezra Charles, who was another very good all elbows, you know, catching with his elbows. Later, earlier on in his fights when he was the Cobra, you know, you got to see him at that point, all elbows, catching punches. He does one move. He does the skull and bones, and then he loops the lead hand into a left hook and knocks the guy out. And, um, you know, you, you look at Archie, you, you, then you take a look at George Foreman versus Cooney. If you see that fight, George Foreman is all elbows, catching all the Cooney shots. Mm. Now, what's the connection? Uh, Archie Moore trained George Foreman earlier in his career. Right, right, right. <clears throat> so, so what you get in 52 for all you people who claim to be boxing historians and experts and don't, understand what you're looking at when you're looking at 52 is you get a flow between the three functional boxing guards of of the pillar guard or the, the peekaboo guard, guard the the philly shell the cross arm guard and then there's a fourth guard there was a michigan shell too and so what it is if you look at it is it's a it's a continual flow between those positions where you feed the elbows like Filipino style into the the oncoming punches. That's yeah, all it is, yeah. right? And this was even more relevant when, you know, it was still bare knuckle. You got to think about, you know, some bare knuckle fights went four hours. Mm. And people were like, oh my God, four hours of fighting? But they don't tell you the full story. Out those four hours, maybe 10 punches were thrown. <laughs> That's why they put gloves on them <laughs> so they could fight more. <laughs> when you fighting bare knuckles and, and you know what you're doing, like real bare knuckles, ain't like it's not like head down windmill punching. No, that's that's the lower level. They don't know what they're doing. True bare knuckle fighters, oh, they're very tentative. There's a lot of posturing, a lot of fainting, a lot of blocking, <laughs> a lot of moving, and then the punch. You know, like they were throwing punches one every 45 minutes. So... Well, well, in body shots, right? You talked yes. about Bob Fitzsimmons and yes. the focus on the shoulder plexus shot because it's tough to get your elbow yes, in front exactly. of that, right? The body doesn't move. You know, the head is very slippery. Like, people don't know. Even someone who doesn't have good head movement could, you know, or just put their hands in front of their face, and that serves as a good defense of, you know, throwing punches off, you know. So 
<laughs> the body doesn't move. So, you, and, and like you said, it's, it's harder to guard the body because it's bigger. So that it's harder to place the elbow in the right position before someone can get off. So, you know, a lot of these shots were meant to protect the crown. Like there are blocks in 52 that, um, you know, protect the body uh, because, you know, these are guys that punches were the problem. Like, and even in earlier boxing, it was kind of MMA. It was, you know, knee was involved, elbows were involved. You know, it was, it, you know, it was pretty thick. So a lot of these moves evolved from that time too, where, you know, you could still hold and hit, you know, like 52 even serves you on the inside. You look at May, Mayweather, when people try to grapple him, he kind of points the elbow right in your throat. So when you, as you go to squeeze him, you pull, you push the elbow in your throat. If you look at early Mayweather fights, you'll see the ref slapping Mayweather's elbow down. Like, no, you can't do that. <laughs> but that's 52 in, that's 52 in the grip, in, 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 the, in the grapple. You know, now in the grapple, the elbows help you make space to rip small shots. You know, I push that elbow in your neck and then rip the small shot to your belly or the overhand. So, you know, it starts to alter as the gap closes. Outside the gap, you're kind of like thinking, you know, catching punches. Inside the gap, you're kind of using your elbows to maneuver him and keep him off of you and shell up. So, yeah. And and for any of you young bucks who don't know who Archie right. Moore is, you should look it up. Uh, I you get on these boxing forums and you guys start talking about how Mayweather is the goal. It's terrible. Or, it's terrible. You know, it's terrible. It's terrible. Like Mayweather is not even the do, best Philly do. sellers. For all young people listening to this podcast and will hear these words, you want to see some real Philly shell? You look up Georgie Benton. You want to see the Philly shell in action? Like Mayweather's good. Take none. He he. he you know, but he, even he, even him, if you ask Mayweather, who is the best Philly sheller ever that he's ever seen, he'd probably either say Benny Briscoe or Georgie Benton. Benny Briscoe was another bad motherfucker, but he was no Georgie Benton. I'm talking about in the pocket, Philly shelling. Like, he fought Hurricane Carter, which was like, he was the Mike Tyson of that era. You know, he was the steamroller. Right. And he couldn't steamroll Georgie Benton. You know, that fight went to decision, and I thought Georgie Benton won. But I see why they gave it to Hurricane. But you'll see, if you want to see the, the Philly shell at work, watch Hurricane Carter versus Georgie Benton. You, you'll see the magic. And and for those of you who don't know as well, it was Moore who came up with yep. the rope-a-dope for Ali that he yep. used to beat Foreman. Moore trained Foreman and James Tillis. Um, and there was a there was a referee from back in the fifties. His name was Harry Kessler, and he said Archie Moore had more punches in his arsenal than Robin Hood and all his merry men had arrows in their quivers. The guy was, I mean, really, I, he's probably my favorite boxer of all time. And it, it and it was watching his film and then watching your stuff on YouTube that drew me to talking to you in the first place, right? Because yes. I could connect the dots and see, oh, I see what's going on. I see what they're doing in 52. It's not just some made up <laughs> hip hop dancing thing. It's, it's, a, it's, a, yes. it's, a, it's a guard flow, right? That's based on yes. actual boxing guards. And then they just stick the elbow yes. out there to make it yes. suck more. You know, even, even the <clears throat> active blocks in 52, like triangle trade, 
It's like three hand parries. It's like parrying with your hand. It's it's all built from the boxing thing. It's not like a freestyle dance. And I've said this many times, and it's it's made some other fifty two block guys mad at me. But it's not like African dancing. Not take nothing away from African dancing. But this is not it. <laughs> you know, you just don't go into a fifty two block flow right in front of a person. Like it's you know it's still a regular fight. You know, you're blocking, you're moving. You know, you're using the feints. Also, 52 has more feints than any other fighting system I've ever seen. It should be called 52 feints because it, it feints by <laughs> position. And anybody who don't know about feints don't know nothing about no fighting. Don't know nothing about nothing. <laughs> because you got to remember, we're predators. Our eyes sit right in front. So we are susceptible to feints. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Unlike a bird. You can't sneak up on the bird. You know why? Because the eyes are on the side. That's 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 prey. That's you know prey eyes. So so they get a bigger peripheral of seeing you trying to sneak up on them. But predators, you know, we have that direct force. So all of those hand feints. You, I, I met this one guy, uh, Peter Couts Burley, my partner. Um, he's a, you know he's a hypnotist. He's in the hypnosis, and he was telling me your hand, your eyes cannot cannot ignore round shape movements. So if somebody's standing in front of you, swinging their arms in circles, your attention is there. You try, you may try not to see it, but it's because of your, what's called your superior colliculus that picks up round-shaped movements because round-shaped movements are equivalent to life. So you're, once your superior colliculus is in, engaged from the round movements, it's like you're being tranced. It's like you're being hypnotically spun. So hand feints in 52 are the are the bread and butter. That's how we sneak on sneaking our shots. The blocks are cool. Like, you know, if you get off a block, you do, but there's more than 52 than just blocking. There's the footwork. There's the head movement, heavy head movement. My father said he was in jail with a guy called Chicken Neck. And he would sit in the cell and move his head and knees. And he said, when you hit was in the fight with him, you couldn't hit this guy with 50 punches. <laughs> he said he would chicken neck the shit out of you. And so there's more layers to 52 than people know. 52 blocks is defense in its totality, totalness. Like we're the elephant in the room. Because when you go into a fight, everybody thinks about what they're going to do to the other opponent. They don't really think about, yeah, he can knock my ass the fuck out. You know, and and if you do think like that, where do you train to cover that? Defense. See, most people are offense. We're all caught up in, uh, I'm a fucking up. I'm about to knock him out. Or he's not going to stand a chance. See, but you're only thinking from your mind. As a fighter, you must think from his mind too. You must think that he got a family too, probably, that he's trying to get back home to. So he's going to fight like a demon. So, you train your defense to match his demon side. Because if you don't, then he may just steamroll you. So 52 blocks is defense in the total. Footwork, head movement, body slipping, feints, body feints. If you look at uh, if you look at uh, my boy Jersey Joe Walcott, he's a 52 faint master. They said his feints have feints. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? So it's all of that. It's not just the blocking. I constantly have to tell people that it's not just about blocking. Don't get caught up in the word blocks. We're talking about blocks in general. And the 52 name itself was created by the 5% nation who was looking to latch 52 onto their ideology, which is 5 plus 2 is 7, 
it's the God number, you know, and, and so on. So they, you know, they kind of latched 52 onto their thing. And it's just that that name is the name that stuck. So this is one of the things I love about you is is you've spent so long in this game and you also have exposed yourself to so many different arts. You you have a way of kind of connecting the dots that nobody else in 52 can, right? Like I've looked at videos of other people and they either teach the blocks and maybe some head faints. They they understand the block flow. And, you know, it's not that their movement is bad, but you can go, this fighter did this. And if you look at Jersey Joe Walcott, he, you know, faints within his faints. And you want to see how to do the shell. Look at this guy. You have an understanding, you know, both functionally. And then also we've we've had conversations where you connected in a Pakwa and Tai Chi and all these other arts, these 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 uh, Chinese arts that people other people don't have they can't connect those dots yeah. you know what i mean it, it, it's i have to give all due you no know, praises due to my teacher even though my teacher told me to stop saying his name <laughs> because he was like you're doing the work now jamar and for, for, for people who don't know jamar is my government name light burly how did i come up with that name light is what they used to call me in the streets because i was light skinned and um burly came about because I ended up studying the, my favorite boxer in the world, who was Charlie Burley, who was a range master. His 52 was range. He understood range as such a sick understanding that Archie Moore said, you can have Charlie Bur Burley over for dinner, but don't have him for a fight. He beat up Archie Moore. And Archie Moore was a light heavyweight when they fought. Charlie Burley was 154 pounds, kind of like me. He, me and him, uh, our body shapes are the same. So he only has one fight to watch. And I must have watched it maybe 4,000 times. <laughs> I can probably tell you steps of that fight. I can tell you how the fight goes <laughs> in action, like what their hands are doing. But it was immaculate. And um, Charlie Burley was too good. And because black fighters were, um, uh, they a lot of black fighters weren't allowed in, the story was, it was either Charlie Burley or Sugar Ray Robinson. And Sugar Ray Robinson had more charisma. So they blackballed Charlie and, you know, sent Sugar Ray Robinson to the top. He became the darling of the fight world. And Charlie Burley died a sanitation worker. And that shit hurt my heart so much that I adopted his last name to try to bring some fame to it. It already had fame, but he was he was only known to, like, inside boxing circles. The regular person wouldn't know who... Who the hell Charlie right Charlie right so my mission was to make the burly name famous and i'm i'm pretty happy with the job i've done I, I i've made after i started putting up videos all of a sudden the videos started popping up on youtube breaking down charlie burley now <laughs> i can say I, I i i like to believe that i had to start in that because nobody was even talking about charlie until i came along so um you know <clears throat> Well, you, yeah, I hadn't, I, I mean, I consider myself, we had probably a three hour conversation one time about boxing history. I consider myself to be something of a boxing historian. And you, you gave me context to Charlie Burley that I, that I had never heard. I mean, I knew who the guy was. I had seen the fight with, with, you know, the one fight that you're talking about, but 
You're a you're a virtual encyclopedia when it comes to this stuff, man. Blame it on my teacher Wilson Pitts. We call him the mean old white man from Virginia. Because <laughs> he's he's a real mean dude. And he to me and said, Let me tell you something. You can't talk to me about boxing until you've watched four thousand hours of old footage. He said, Then me and you can have a conversation. So I said, Okay. <laughs> okay. And I went and I watched and now when I talk to him, we have boxing conversations. You know, it's, it's no longer. Which is which is real similar to uh, yes. Customato yes. and Tyson, Tyson right? Life. People don't really understand how smart Tyson is. It's just now coming out. Like, do you look at his interviews? Tyson is a fucking genius. But it's just now coming out because, you know, you know, when you, when you build an entertainment, they had to build him as this killer that knew nothing. He was like a pit bull off the leash. And he went in there, he just bit you. And that was part of him. But what was deeper was, deeper was his uh, uh, philosophical mind with boxing. And now, when I watch Tyson's interviews, they are fucking amazing. Like, he's funny. <laughs> he's mad smart. He, you know, he used big words, words that back when Tyson was y- younger, we didn't even know he could <laughs> talk. Like, he's like, I'll eat your babies. Like, that's all we remember him saying. Like, and now he's up there breaking shit down. I mean, I, I watch hot boxing with Mike religiously, but yes, um, Tyson knows every boxer from John L. Sullivan up. He even knows their records. Like, he's better than me. Like, I thought I was a historian. Like, Tyson can tell you the records, the years they fought, <laughs> what brushed them into fighting. Like, he must have, you know, he, he must, his study was, but he had customado, so I'm pretty sure his study was deep. Like, you know, he goes into Archie Moore, he goes out. And I, I just put up on YouTube, on, on my page for anybody to see, he's up there with uh, Rashad Evans. And Rashad said, so we'll talk about that 52. He said, oh, man, 52, the 52 block, that's mastery. You got to be a master to learn that art. And up to this point, everybody was talking about, oh, well, Tyson's never said nothing about it. And he went on a spiel about it because he's from Brooklyn. And Brooklyn was like, they were wor- their street fighters were world famous in New York for beating people up. And it was all up there, 52. So Brooklyn was like the heart of street fighters in New York. Like they ruled, you know, Queens was close to Brooklyn. So that's where I was from. That's where a lot of the fil- 52 filtered down in the Queens. When I got to Manhattan, not a lot of the brothers knew about it. It was one brother that knew about it, Ramel Scott. I'm going to give him his flowers, even though. He tried to uh, derail my career. Um, we had a moment where he came down every Friday and we would slap box. And then slap boxing was the way that 52 block practitioners practice. It was our sparring. So we would slap box for hours and hours. And, you know, I, I learned a lot from him as far as like, you know, tricks of certain shapes and stuff like that. But what he didn't teach me was how to punch. Like, because we were slap boxing. What happens with most uh, 52 block street fighters is that they punch like they slap. And this makes you a bad puncher. And I, when I met Wilson, I was doing the same thing. And he told me to hit the pad and I slapped that motherfucker. And he said, you punch like a bitch. <laughs> and from then on, we had, to, we, had to, we had to change that. And he turned my slap right hand into a straight right hand. He gave me a jab. He gave me a hook, an uppercut, an uppercut. 
and you gave me an overhand. And now my when I throw my skull and bones up, you get hit with the arrow. <laughs> the straight right hand. It's like sharp as an arrow, and that's because of Wilson Pitts and what he picked up from Georgie Benton and them. He said in uh, the Philadelphia gyms, they called it uh, wall boxing. They would put a fighter against a wall and throw punches at him. So what you would learn is how to go lateral and not to retreat because your instinct is when something moves forward to move back. So you have to train that out of you. Like people don't know that that shit doesn't just go away. It has to be meticulously trained out of you. You have to hardwire your brain that when force comes forward, you go left or right. So they did it with the wall and that's where wall boxing came from and how the wall was introduced and used in 52 that you're not in, you, you could be in your fighting stance or you could have parallel feet. Either which way, what you learn is go out the side door, not the back door. So uh, we touched on custom model just a little bit, which kind of brings us to uh, what I'm going to call Russia gate, yeah. because there's these Russians that have started compiling all this history on boxing, quote unquote, and they're totally making it about race. They're trying to say that boxing originated in Italy from fencing and it doesn't have any roots in African America and all this nonsense. Uh, so, so something kicked off on Facebook, which I jumped on for a second to get in there and and uh, and take your side. But, but you want to talk about these crazy Russians and this nonsense that was going on in your life for a while? Tom, in my fifty-two career, so they reached out to me, and they when they reached out to me in the beginning, it was all friendly, it was all hugs and kisses, kisses and giggles. And it was like, you know, let's do this interview. We want to talk about 52 and uh, pretty much like what we're doing, giving us some light. And you're going to talk to the doctor. They called him the doctor. And um, what was his name? I, I, yeah, Oleg. Yeah. Oleg so Maltsev. Interview and um, everything, everything went well. You know, interview went well. They, they did an interview with like four other people. And... Um, then I, I jump on my, I'm getting all of these inboxes, like, yo, like, I don't know if you, if you're supporting those Russian guys, but they're up there saying, you know, black people ain't start 52, it's this Spanish guy named Melicio and all this crazy stuff. And I'm like, stop playing. I just spoke to him the other day. I sent them a book. <laughs> I'm saying, so I jump on there and I was like, you know, you know, I hear what y'all saying. Y'all, this, this may have been the information that y'all found, but it's really disrespectful to walk into the, the house. Of black culture and tell us about our culture like this like you, you know so you may have th- you may think that but you shouldn't put it out there like that and they was like no like this is the information we found we sorry if it hurts you but it was really a spanish guy and customado and all of this crazy stuff and um fencing started boxing now where they are slightly correct is that um even though people were using their hands before weapons Weapons kind of started, um, uh, how can I say, um, evolving the hands. Like, so the thrust of a weapon can be equivalent to the thrust of a jab or a straight punch. Like, there's some connection to that. And that thing, they were correct. But this Spanish guy doing 52, it was just all left. So, you know, I tried to talk nice. It didn't go well. So I was like, listen, I tried to talk nice, you know. 
I don't know. Like every culture has an upside and a downside. You know what I mean? Like there is uh, good uh, white people, then you have rednecks. There's good black people, then you have niggers. <laughs> and, and that is our lower, lower, lower side. And I said, listen, I don't want the lower side to come out, but you're pushing it. So it kept going. The lower side came out. So now we're going. So it got to the point where I said, y'all, they said they had the fighter. I said, well, let's let me and your fighter meet and let's do this with the fight. So whoever wins is right. I will beat the shit out of him and we will be the winner. Or he beats me and y'all word is right. They agreed. We was going to meet in Cali. So I'm getting ready to get my ticket. I'm talking with the fighter. The guy's name was Alexandro. We FaceTimed and all of that. He said he buying his raps. And I was on the FaceTime. I was like, and he was fat. So I was like, you're a fat boy. I'm a beach of pillow ass. So I was like, you don't even know what's about that. I'm about to unleash 400 years of black frustration on you, buddy. You about to get some. So we going back and forth. So the fight is three days. The fight is like four days away. I get my ticket. Then next thing I know, I start getting hits from um from Facebook like you stole this guy's picture. And I'm like, what? Oh, like, you you know, copyright infringement. So I look at the picture. The picture is my picture. I took the picture. So I'm like, but I didn't understand the game yet. I didn't understand how to fight these guys. So they, they now another one, and then another one, and then another one. Then Facebook hits me with, if you get one more, we taking your page. I get another one. They rip the page down. Instagram. It starts on Instagram. You stolen this guy's picture. Strike. Strike. Instagram sends me the message. You get two more strikes. We're taking your page. Two more strikes come. The page disappears. Gone. Now my YouTube, my big baby. <laughs> I get a copyright strike. YouTube hits me like, you get two more copyright strikes? We rip your channel down. But by this time, I have been on YouTube. I went on YouTube and I found a way that you had to, to fight these strikes. I had to send out a con- counter notice to their notice. But I send out the counter notice. My counter notice was emotional. Like, YouTube, please help me. These guys are trying to take my channel. <laughs> so <laughs> I got to strike this way because this is how bullshit it is. And this is for anybody that's listening that's going through this. I'm going to give you the game. When you're filing the counter strike, you have to use certain words because bots are reading your counter thing. These ain't real people. And the bots will only pick up on certain words. So you have to say, I believe uh, there has been an error my uh my video was flagged in error. I forgot the word that they used, but it's up there because I found a guy who put who told me this, who, who who put out a video and made it that you have to use certain words when getting your counter. So I did it. I won the counter strike. Boom. So now I'm like, okay, I got y'all. You let's fight. So they they sending me strikes. I'm counter noticing them. Now let me. It goes further. The next thing they have to do is once you send the counter notice. They have to go file papers with the court, show it to YouTube, and now YouTube dead you. Like, you lost because they're prepared to go to court. Do you know they did this? They made up some, they, they copied some fake court papers, put a fake court corporate docket number on it, sent it to YouTube. YouTube was like, you're finished. They're going to court. So I read the court papers. And in the court papers, you know, you have to say something about yourself. And this is what they wrote. I'm a black man that loves taking dick up his ass because black cultures are homo gay. We're a homo gay culture that likes doing fake fighting and taking dicks in the ass. That's what they wrote. 
So I I screenshot it, send it back to YouTube. Wow. I said, y'all call yourself a billion dollar company and y'all didn't even read the court papers. And then they send me back. We're so sorry. <laughs> and the whole channel was saved. <laughs> and Jenny. And Jenny. Let me not leave this out the story. As I'm in Mad Strikes, you can't call YouTube, Facebook, or Instagram. This is where they fuck you at. You got to send them emails. They're not really responding to you. They don't care about you. What saved me with YouTube, yes. What saved me with YouTube, right, YouTube is owned by Google. Google has a phone number. I called. I'm talking to a dude. He was totally not hearing my plight, and he didn't care. I called. I got this lady named Jenny, and this is why women culture go women culture go fucking women power because it was jenny that saved me because women have emotions like that 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 motherly thing and i told her my story and she said mr clark let me tell you something they are not going to take your channel as long as i live (laughs) (laughs) and jenny there's a youtube office in google she went down to the youtube office and told youtube no matter how many strikes he get do not take his channel because i was up to 15 strikes it only takes three strikes to remove your channel i had 15 they were going hard i had 15 strikes and it was jenny that went down to youtube so jenny if you listening love you jenny <laughs> shout out to jenny all right shout out to jenny uh hey so they yeah. even they they interviewed diallo frazier and then this freaking doctor doctor whatever his name is he starts yeah. putting out his own 52 blocks videos based on his quote unquote study then yeah. everybody starts jock riding 52 blocks you got the bartitsu people putting out 52 blocks videos and 52 yeah. blocks people just start coming out of the woodwork right like everybody and their mother is all of a sudden a 52 blocks yes. expert because yes. they pick some crap up on youtube <laughs> for those of you that don't know this this incident is the is the yeah. thing that started all of that um, and I was there. I was there at the beginning. I jumped on that thread and I was I was getting into it with these Russians, too. I remember you dropping the yeah, fight challenge go. and being like, go. show up go. in L.A. Let's Certain go. Let's go, son. Do it. <laughs> Sometimes words can't really get the meaning across. So we got to go to cartoon like balance. <laughs> So, so, so just for the record, for no, the record, no, your honor, did they ever show, show up? up. Four days before I was supposed to fly out there, they started racing me. Their, their fighter, I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't respond to him. They took me off of Instagram. So we were talking through Facebook. He erased my Facebook. He erased my Instagram. So they, I guess their erasing was to make it look like I didn't show up, or but they never even talked about it afterwards because they really had, you know, they had no idea. They you know they really wasn't going to fight me or. You know, they wasn't really trying to fight me. They just put it out there because the guy that they put up who was their warrior, he was a fucking marshmallow. I would have destroyed him. Like, you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Dude, I yeah, saw that guy. Like, come on like, now. Like, oh, man. I'm not going to even lie. You need a six pack <laughs> to fight like Burley. I train six hours a day. You're going to respect me with a six pack, buddy. But <laughs> you're going to show me that you even deserve this fight. You don't come in. <laughs> You can't you 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 can't even see your penis wanting to fight like Burley. That's you can't do that. I'm gonna beat you up. 
I saw that dude's picture and I was like, oh, he he's going to get his lunch get money taken and his girl and too. I was so excited because <clears throat> this that fight would have blew me the like it would have blew me over the top. I'd probably be getting a million hits now if I could have got that fight. And so I really wanted that fight because it was there was there was there was a cause behind the fight. It wasn't just a fight. There was there was some good and evil shit happening there. It was you know what I'm saying there was there, there, there was there was a story behind it. So I was chomping at the bait. I was like, oh my god, I'm going to. And then he was sending me messages like, "You sure you want to do it in the ring? Because we can do it in the park." I was like, "Listen, if we do it in the park, I'm gonna kill you. Let's stay in the ring, buddy. Let's keep this control. Like, if we do it in the park, I'm throwing you off a cliff." Like it's, we we going all the way, buddy. Like I don't think you want that park love. So when he's saying all of this, he got me thinking he real. So I'm like, oh yeah, he really about his bit. Oh, I'm a surf. And then when he hit me with the curveball, it was, you know, it was all it broke my heart. Yeah. They just kept you tied up with a bunch yeah. of dialogue yeah. and then hit you on the social media side, but. Yes. Whatever, keyboard warriors of the world, unite, take note. There are people that will show up and fight you right. wherever. Just, just right. you know, write that down somewhere because uh, it happens sometimes. I'll knock on your door <laughs> and tell your mother, like he said, he wanted to fight. Tell him to come on outside. <laughs> it ain't nothing crazy. I ain't going to send him to the hospital, but he's going to get this lesson. He's going to get this lesson. And look, just so people don't think this is some kind of like, yes. Burley gave these guys a lot of chances. It wasn't just he just popped off and was ready to show up it, like some uncultured, yes. crazy person. He he tried negotiating and talking with these guys first. And then when that didn't work and and, and the yes. challenge yes. was and dropped, he's like, okay, I got you. Works, and that's the way we all should work. <clears throat> you come first with diplomacy. When diplomacy fails... Launch the missiles. <laughs> like we tried. Like we tried to sit down and have talks and you you you, just, you didn't want to talk, you want to fight. So let's launch the missiles and they, they so and they and then they were all with the challenge. They threw their warrior out there. So you know it, it was all it it was all a good ploy. And then they went on to try to make videos because that guy, Dr. Oleg, whatever, he seems to have a lot of money. He's financially situated. So I can see they had T-shirts, bandanas. <laughs> he out of nowhere, he had a 52 block logo. He was teaching classes somewhere. With, and it looked like there was a lot of people there. And I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, he looks like he got about 50 people in there. Like, how Well, yeah, he's really what the fuck? So <laughs> if you if you look it up, I mean, he's really made a name for himself. He's a doctor of sport, I guess. And his whole thing is like he's kind of he's dug up all the historical, quote unquote, historical documents. And and he teaches he teaches in a classroom in some college someplace or something as like a history of sport expert. Right. Yeah. Which is how he fills his classes. And them girls that were rolling with him, they would die hard. Like they were coming at me. Like his peoples are his people. Mm. Mm -hmm. And one guy hit me up with that. Um, he's actually like a cult leader. Um, I forgot he sent me the paperwork about him. Like he's like a like the people that follow him. What he was trying to say is like the people that follow him, they are serious. Like they couldn't take my YouTube channel down because now they put YouTube on notice about me. So now my shit is protected because they did attack it. So thank them. I thank them for doing that because now if you try to get a copyright strike on me, YouTube may call you themselves like, yo, what's this about? 
because <laughs> they already know the game with me. <laughs> so, but um, they are a group now. Usually, what they do is your YouTube channel blows up. They push, they put two strikes against it, and then they send you a message and say, if you don't want the third strike, send us ten thousand, and they get paid. People are doing it. That's their other hustle. They're called the Red Pill or the Red Dragon. I forgot their name because. When I when they were hitting me and I didn't know what was going on, I sent a message to the email like, yo, I don't know what's going on, but why do you keep sending me strikes? And their message to me, and I sent it to Google, was, life, you need to say that black people are inferior and 52 blocks doesn't work and we'll stop. And I sent back, suck a dick. <laughs> <laughs> let's, go now, baby. let's go to war. All right, so that triggered my <laughs> weapon. Let's go to war, and then they, they went in. <laughs> but they definitely tried to give me an out of you know if I copped out, they would stop. Let's 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 talk about the elephant in the room. There's been a lot of talk on the podcast. I got several women on here who are doing global outreach and. We've had a, a lot of talk about racism and white privilege as it relates to society from coming at it from different angles. Right. But to me, when I when I was witnessing this, there's a lot of people in the States that are like, racism doesn't exist anymore. Oh, it, when we won the Civil War, it wasn't we, we eliminated it. Look, y'all open up your eyes. It's it's a thing and it's a global thing, right? Like this, look at, and, and I'm sure you have copies of this that you can send to people. Look at the verbiage of the attacks against light by these people, right? It's 100% race motivated. No. Does that mean all white people are bad? No. I'm, no one is saying that just before you get all bent out of shape and put on your Confederate flag T-shirt or whatever it is you do, right? Like, calm down. Uh, <laughs> I'm just saying, like, racism is real and, and, and people are dealing with things that you probably, what is it, you, everyone is fighting a battle you don't even know about? I don't think you should be commenting on racism Unless you've been on the receiving end of racism and you can speak to it with authority. Does that make sense? I I believe there's very few coaches that can teach a person how to fight that's never fought. Very few. Very few. Angelo Dundee is one of them. But mainly the best coaches were fighters. So you should speak from the side, from that side. And um, same thing with racism. You know... You know, uh, uh, if you never felt it, you can't really speak on it from the proper side. And racism, what is it? It's the flip side of nationalism, just like what we were talking about. It's when nationalism, yeah, when nationalism, right? It's the dark side, yeah, (laughs) yeah. So it's it's been felt by everybody. Chinese feel it, Spanish feel it. It's not just blacks. We're not the only ones, but because of our history, for for sure. I mean, as a as a white kid who grew up in the hood for part of my life, you know I was on the right. receiving end of some beatings exactly. just for being white. Black I mean, it happens, too. right? We're racist too. <laughs> <laughs> you know. mm-hmm. So, 
Just, I just want to put that the the elephant in the room to bed because I'm getting tired of America. All of you, take notice. Any part of America that's listening to this podcast, I'm tired of people telling me racism doesn't exist. Saying nationalism doesn't exist, you would have to erase the the upper side too. Like, so you would have to <laughs> throw the whole coin away. Like, to say that the the flip side of a coin doesn't exist is is idiotic. You would have to throw the whole coin away. So. Racism exists because nationalism <laughs> exists, and it'll always be that way. And um, now that uh, uh, there's a deeper history with it, so when I do 52 blocks, I get a lot. And I just want to throw this one up here out there so I can bust it up real fast. Um, I get a lot of uh, you just made that style up, like. So let me let everybody know who's listening. Every style you know of is made up. <laughs> Somebody made up Muay Thai. Somebody made up Taekwondo. None of these shits were sitting under a tree dropped out of the sky by God. So they're all made up. All styles are made up. <laughs> there is no style that isn't made up. They're all made up styles meant to better man. This is what Bruce Lee figured out. And that man doesn't serve the art. Art serves the man. You know what I'm saying? The art doesn't work. People tell me 52 doesn't work. No, it doesn't work. But I work. I work. That's what counts. And when I get to work, you're in <laughs> and and let me let me piggyback on that as well. Being a Jersey kid, okay, one of the one of the conflicts on the playground that I had, and this is back in ninety two, ninety one, ninety two, was with the kid. And he starts towing up to me and starts doing the fifty two blocks flow, wow. and this is a kid on a play, a kid, a, you know, sixteen year old kid on a playground in New Jersey. So I can assure you in 1992, somebody taught this kid that flow, right? Like that's, nope. it's not light Burley's thing. This is something that is documented, has a documented history that goes yep. back decades. Light did not make this up. That's a, that's a, let me, let me put that to bed too. That's a, that's, that's just some nonsense. Okay. I, I have seen it with my own eyes. And, and, and uh, uh, me and Light are contemporaries. We're, we're about the same age. So, I mean, there's no way that he taught that kid back in the 90s. Thank you for killing that. I made this thing up. Like, you know, I, like I'm no, there was a one guy named Philip Ebro. And he wrote up these big articles about how it's all a myth and Light's making this up. And, and then he disappeared. And then, look, you got Mike Tyson talking about it. We had... Uh, Zab Jew Zab Jew to do it against Mayweather. <laughs> what was that like? We seen it. Like if you know, I didn't yeah. teach Zab that. <laughs> I'm saying we could. Yeah. I don't even know Zab. I love to meet him though. But um, yeah. I didn't teach Zab. So how is Zab doing it? You know, it couldn't have been just my dream if we all dreamed the same. We all dreamt the same dream. So you know, it has to be real. Yeah, and, and and I'm a you're you're from New York. Mm -hmm. Zab Zab's a, a Brooklyn boy, I believe. Yeah. This is in New Jersey. It's a full state away, right? Like it's. I mean, this is this is a thing. This is yeah. a. It's an art unto itself that existed. Yes. You know, long ago, right? And if you want to, you can listen to the parts of this podcast that are about history, or you can reach out to Light. He'll share his information at the end. If yes. you want a, a full yes, history sir. lesson, yes. he can give it to you. All right, 
Let, let's talk a little bit about weapons in 52 blocks because you talked a minute ago about how the weapons change the block game. There's a, there's a whole subset to this called spit and razors for people that don't know. There is a, there, it, people, people from the hood well, 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 keep razors right in their mouth. The, the, and the connection, like people always connect 52 blocks to jail. And it's not the jail that most people think about. It's when blacks would be going to jail for being black, not selling crack. I made that up. <laughs> Trademark <laughs> Light Burley. Um, Trademark Jack Johnson went to jail for the Man Act, which was taking his wife across state lines. Like, you know, when you were being, you know, Hurricane Carter, we're talking about those type of jailing of black fighters. And... The real connection of 52 to um, jail is the razor blade. In the streets, we don't, it's not a lot of razor blade fighting in the streets. It's knuckle fighting in the streets. So we're in the world, you know, I'm not walking around with a razor in my mouth waiting for the next encounter. That would be foolish. You'll slice your mouth up. But in jail, it's different. In, in jail, the razor rules because in jail, the razor is the gun. You got to think about in jail, what is a gun? a razor, a knife, a poke weapon, uh, a, uh, um, a toothbrush sharpened, you know, the, the, the poke. And that's, those are, that's what they consider guns in jail. So the razor morphed 52. So you take a 52-block fighter who is 52-block fighting in the world. He sells drugs. The cops catch him. He goes to jail. He gets a razor. He's now 52-block fighting with the razor. That's where... 52 blocks morphed and this biggest connection to jail is the which is the razor spitting up the razor hiding the razor in your mouth before the fight <laughs> you don't walk around with it you know a lot of people in jail though what they did do was walk around yeah, with yeah. razors in their <clears throat> ass cheeks where they would boof what they call boofing the razor where you put tissue around the razor and you stick it up your ass cheeks and they keep it there so that way if they're searched you'll never find the razor so, but then the razor goes, now this is m probably th not the most hygienic thing, but this is jail. The razor goes from the ass cheek into the mouth before the fight. So as the guy's fighting, he doesn't even know you have the razor. So when you spit the razor out, he starts getting slashed and before he knows what happens. So that's the connection of the razor. And and just so you guys know, I mean, like I've on one of the most recent podcasts, I talked about my kind of like street education and my boys that when I moved from country California to New North Brunswick, New Jersey, and, and moving to the, the high school there where people were getting stabbed and being scared to death and asking these dudes to fight, to teach me to fight. And them giving me advice in the street after hitting me across the face with an infant bed spring. Uh, you know, never fight alone and never fight without a weapon. Those guys, when fights were going to pop off, they brought razors and they put them in their mouth. It's a thing. This is a... Th that's what well, I meant, like razors for the street. This is this is something... It was just in the box cutter form. Like they the click, <clears> click, <throat> click noise. Your ass was in trouble. If you're and anybody who had a, you know, knows knows those type of razors with that black switch, and you click the razor out, they were those were very, uh, uh, you know, you can find that in the knife 
in all types of knife weapons, definitely in street fights. Yes, you you are correct about for sure. And and these guys would yes. also put those double sided razors under their tongue and then yes. spit it in their hand in the middle of the no, fight. No. And and when razors yeah, cut yeah. you, you don't feel it. You're just bleeding all over, and it takes forever for the blood to stop because it's such a clean cut. So it's not like a poke. Like you would rather, and I, I, you wouldn't rather nothing. But if you had to deal with a weapon, you would rather deal with a poking motion than a slice motion. Because when they cut you with the razor, you see everybody that has a razor, it bubbles, it bubbles up because it splits open, like it opens up. So when they razor you across your face, your face opens up. It's a different psychological thing that makes you stop fighting almost immediately. Once you realize what's happening, you go into straight survival mode. And no, you're no longer in fight mode. You're like in survival mode and because you're like opening up. And my friend, Mr. G, rest in peace, who was in jail and told me about because he, he served a lot of years and seen it. I never seen it from my own eyes. He's seen it with his own eyes. Um, he was like, it's just... It's, 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 um, it's gross. Like, you know, you know, you're opening it up and the shock of it hits you so fast that like you're running off, trying to hold yourself together. Like you're literally grabbing your face, trying to squeeze it back together while you're running off. So like you said, the razor, the razor and the ice pick are two different weapons. You know, the ice pick will put little holes in you that you won't really even know. And, and bleed out quickly over like being stabbed with a knife. Right. One is a, one is a puncture weapon, and one is a, a slash weapon. Yes. And razor yes. slashes open up different than a knife. You can you can tell like if you look at the scar from a razor cut, it's kind of it's it's pointed on either end and it why it gets wide in the middle right so it, you, you can tell the difference yes. between a razor cut scar and a knife cut scar because of yes. the nature of the razor cut and the way the cut opens up yes and yeah. it's just meant to make yes. you bleed all over yes. the place and freak yes. you out Chances it's not you die i haven't you know you could but a lot of the people that got razors attacked they just wear the scars like a knife wound is way more uh uh punishing because it's ripping and puncturing and you know stabbing through stuff uh the razor is just opening you up so you're open but you can easily be stitched back up that stab wound going through your heart you know you can't stitch the heart back up so that's where the, the knife takes president over the razor is that it's going to do the life or death damage where the razor does like superficial damage unless he kind of like cuts you all the way down to your bone. Like he would have to put a lot of force. Like when you slashing, you don't use force. You kind of use quickness. When you're puncturing, you use that, uh, you use that, you know, that push force. So there's way more force going with the knife than you're going to get with the razor. It's more superficial freak you out wounds and make you ugly type of wounds. Which in the Filipino arts, you talk about how the stick or the knife trains the hand. In 52, the pick or the razor train the hand. I, I, I would say like the hands make better for the razor. So if you're a 52 block fighter, you become a better weapon fighter. Like, you know, it's, it's definitely, you can, 
you can learn something from weapons. I think the greatest thing, and you know, I did something with a knife guy, and you know, I have different thoughts on what you can really do in a knife fight. But what you can learn with a knife and razor is where to cut. I believe the a doctor is probably the most lethal knife fighter we know. Like, imagine getting into a fight with a doctor with a knife. Like, he's going to cut you where it hurts. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like. He, he ain't going to do no tink, tink, tink with you. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. He ain't there to, to, to pass the knife and overguard. He ain't there for none of that. He's going to make a move and cut your artery and let you bleed out in 30 seconds. So I think that's where weapons are really effective is knowing where to cut and, you know, how to cut. Like I had this one guy who had one of those knives that kind of like flip open and the knife is kind of standing up on that little piece. And he went to stab somebody and the knife closed on his fingers and he ended up chopping his own fingers off. So, you know, don't. Mm. <laughs> Proper locking mechanisms, people. Don't, don't overlook it. Don't overlook it. Don't overlook it. So um, the, uh, <laughs> I believe the hands, like you take a boxer who knows jab, straight hook, uppercut, uppercut overhand, and then put two knives in his hand. Isn't he lethal? Because what's he going to do with it? Jab, straight, hook, uppercut, uppercut, overhand. And that's what I teach. If you already know how to punch, you know how to stab. It's the same thing. The punch goes in and out. Like anybody that taught you how to punch, my Spanish teacher used to teach me this. Like the retraction of the punch is important. Like his, his English, so I'm trying to mimic, talk like him. He was the retraction. Retraction of punch, most important, Jamar. Most important, <laughs> what trying to say, the pullback of the punch is what creates pop. You see a lot of people, they just push their punch and they kind of fall. No, you got to you got to snatch that motherfucker back. It's like popping the person with a wet rag. You know, it's not the push. It's the snatch back that, that makes the crack like a whip. You push pull. That makes the crack. Same thing with, it, with your punch. It's push pull. And you do the same thing with a knife. Push pull. <laughs> and, and now you're a knife expert. Like, so I believe... It was the 52 hand feints that made the razor blade dangerous because you got this guy spinning his hands in front of your face. It's like three card Monty at his deadliest form. <laughs> you got You don't know which hand is going to cut you open. Like so, right. that's right. what really made the razor blade dangerous. And the and the guy that knew in the in the hands of a 52 block fighter is that they got all these crazy hand feints. You're going to be fainted out the pocket, and then he's going to cut you across your neck. So. Yeah, I think what I was what I was trying to get at is like the yeah. the the hand feints are they're also parries, right? And and so the way the razor is moved, it teaches you to parry real clean. And and then the 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 jab, you said jab cross hook overhand, uppercut overhand, right? Like that's if you do that with an ice pick yeah. in your hand, yeah. You'll learn how to stab with your punches, like have a stabbing, quick, sharp shot. And that's kind of, you know, like the weapons train the hands and the hands train the weapons. And you get this real nasty, nasty system fast if you combine the two. The weapon is the extension of you. So the weapon is just extending who you are. So you have to be something first. You know what I'm saying? Like. There's something already in the weapon extends you. And mm. it made sense. You know, you know, even even uh, 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 a person 
that knows how to box can be shown gun. Peter Cox showed me how to shoot a gun in like 20 minutes. Now, I've shot guns before, but I've had nobody break down the master eye, how to find your master eye, which side that you're shooting from. And what he taught me from is that you're shooting from your right side. In boxing, what are you punching from if you're a right hand? Your right side. So it's the same shit. It's all the same shit. You sit the gun under your right eye and you don't, right. he's like, you don't do that, uh, 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 you know, that shit where you, where you have to close one eye. You can close one eye, but you sit it right under your, your right eye. You sit the gun under your, your, your gun hand under your right eye and you track that way and you're hitting the target eight, nine times out of 10 because it's your master side. And that's what he was like. And he teaches you how to find your master eye, which is usually decide if you're a left-handed fighter it's your left eye if you're right it's your right eye you know what i'm saying that's your master eye that's the eye that's stronger than the other one so it's all the same stuff you know it's all about body alignment so the gun extends from you and you shoot and you know so it all goes together and um like you said they train each other the, the weapon can train you and your hand can train the weapon um but this is what made the weapon you know the razor blade i even have you know, one guy, he would fight with the razor blade cuffed in his hand. So his hand wasn't open. It was like in a slap hand. And the razor blade was resting between his thumb and his first finger. So when he slapped you, you got slapped with the razor. And it, it was some, and, and he cuffed it so you couldn't even see it. And so he's not fighting you open hand. He's fighting you with the razor, guy by the name of Shamik. And so, you know, yeah, there, there was definitely, and, and a lot of those times, when weapons came, most people like, you know, you, if you, if you're on one side, like, like I was saying, I was, I lived in Edgemere and, you know, you got like Ocean, Vill Ocean Village Project. So a lot of times when you got into a fight in Edgemere, it wasn't like, you know, you was pulling out weapons, you were fist fighting. Now, if you're caught somewhere where you're a stranger, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's when the <laughs> weapon comes out. That's when you'll see these guys pulling out the razors and the ice picks and stuff. But when you're in your own community, you're kind of given that gentleman thing of like what they used to say is put up your dick beaters. <laughs> and that was, you know, give me five minutes and y'all would fight and that was it. Y'all would be friends. You know what I'm saying? So you don't pull out the razor blade. Razor blade, the dude that lives two doors down from you. But if you outside of your comfort zone, you take your little razor with you, you know, you get into a fight, the razor's coming out. You know, so that's usually what the weapons were for were outside of it. And that's, you know, I was saying that the attacks that you get in the street aren't going to be that nice. You know, if you're dealing with someone that you don't know, he's not going to give you no gentleman <laughs> lenience. He's going to attack you. So your martial art actually has to be ready for the attack more than just like put up your hands. Let's fight, son. Like you ain't getting too much. Attention. Right. The ambush. You got to be ready for the ambush. Yeah, it's going to be an ambush. It's going to be a, it's going to go straight from talking to him jumping on you or him just jumping on you or, you know, whatever the case may be. But it's not going to be put your hands up in the box. And like, you're not, you're probably not going to even get a chance to assume a good fight position when it's really on, unless you're quick, unless you can move out, you know, find some space and like, all right, y'all coming to, you know, let's do this. <laughs> you know, that, that's something different. <clears throat> but chances are, your fight ready has to be ready with go. <laughs> you know, like you got to be ready from go. And the only thing in which I teach, your hands are not ready from go. 
But there is a part of your body that is, and they are your feet. That's why your feet must be mastered. And in my 52 block fight system, everybody knows. I got people that have been with me two years and they only know 20 blocks because I'm not finna give you a bunch of funny arm shapes if you haven't mastered how to move out the way. Your feet are the most important thing in a fight. I will say it again to all young warriors coming up. It is not the hands. It is the feet. And I actually came up with a joke that let you know to remember that. What did the feet say to the hands? I don't know what. Cover me. I'm going in. <laughs> <laughs> Trademark like Tra- Burley, baby. Trademark right. like Burley. So, so, so for those people that don't know, 52 has standard box t- boxing type footwork. And then it also has the V stepping from Filipino martial arts. You want to talk a little bit about footwork drilling. You have a lot of real interesting drills. People can jump on YouTube and see how you use playground equipment and box uh, yeah. basketballs and all yeah. sorts of stuff, sorts of stuff yeah. to to yeah. get people to learn to do this stuff properly. But let's talk a little yeah. bit about footwork real quick. Oh, yes. Well, the, the, the main part of this fight in uh, 52 I teach starts with the feet. And we do what's called kickstand balance. And it's pretty much um, in Kung Fu, they call it Santi, which is 70% 30. 30% one leg, 70% the, the rooted leg. So that's the base, the kickstand balance. So from there, you learn crawling, the cakewalk done by uh, Jersey Joe Walcott. Walcott. There's a lot of intricate, like you you said, V-stepping. There's a lot of different ways your feet can go once you learn the basis, which is the kickstand balance. Once you got that, you can start, you know, you can start freeing up your feet. Now, because... uh, the Chinese believe you have two brains and one at the sole of your feet. And um, the feet are pretty dumb when you think about it. Like, you know, we've been using our hands all our life. You know, you're writing books, you're picking up stuff, you're slapping people, you're grabbing your girlfriend, whatever you're doing. Your hands are pretty much way more active than your feet. Pretty much you're just walking on your feet. But they are very intelligent. There's a way that walks. The way to walk that when you get 50 years old, you don't need hip surgeries and back replacements. And it's, you know, how you slam your, your weight into your feet is everything. You know, you know, there is, uh, you know, reverb of energy Like you step into the concrete. That's why you shouldn't jump rope on the concrete. I do it a lot because I'm a, um, I got titanium kneecaps. I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't recommend it. You're supposed to jump on something soft. Because that energy, every time you jump in the ground, is bouncing back up into your joints. So you you usually supposed to jump on like soft wooden floors or something that gives, something that's kind of springy and helps out your joints and stuff like that. But all of that, you know, uh, uh, has to be put into your footwork of understanding pressure to the ground because it's your connection to the ground that makes things hurt like getting punched in the face. Like if someone punched you in the face and at the moment as they hand touched your face, you threw yourself and laid yourself on the ground, it wouldn't hurt. <laughs> like you could lay down right as someone tried to punch you and I've tried it. It totally removes their force. What keeps their force going is that your feet are connected to the 
to the ground and gravity and the resistance that you build up to the actual punch right um wipes your legs out and they wipe them right from under you it's like someone pulls a rug from under your feet that's you know the energy of your balance going so footwork is important so we start at the uh kickstand balance and from there you know you shuffle pivot step fight stepping because there's fight stepping like there's fight stepping is different from how you walk in regular life you know like it's a different you know when you fight your your feet should be in the position of almost like riding a horse there should be like space between your legs like a bow like a bow stance between your legs and to do that you have to practice that because your mind won't do it in real time unless you know many 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 hours of repetition to where when you fight your legs spread out and you get in this well, you know your fight stance and so that's what makes it happen so when someone attacks you unconsciously your feet jump in the fight stance that's why people who can handle real-time situations like if someone attacks you and your feet doesn't jump in the fight stance you're fucked up <laughs> you're fucked yeah up. yeah so so the kickstand balance is I mean, I've looked at videos of it. You have some videos on YouTube where you break it down. It's similar to a cat stance, kind of, right? If you were to, if you were to look at like a, a traditional martial arts stance, well, it goes both ways. The, the kickstand balance pretty much is the ability. What I teach people is that you don't fight in two legs. You only fight in one leg. So what does that mean? If you fight over your nut sacks or over your groin. You're double weighted. You won't be able to move quick enough. You won't have spring. So you have to fight in one leg. So you see boxers, they usually do it in the front leg. They're constantly fighting out the front leg, meaning the back foot is slightly raised. 70% of their weight is in their front leg. Like they're truly rooted to the ground. That, and that's what they mean by in boxing. Like don't be flat for the sun. Get on your toes. That's what they really mean. They don't mean jump you can go to the bounce of both of your toes and make you springy but you're not gonna punch from there but having one foot up is how you create torque it's like a um a baseball a baseball pitcher as they goes to throw the ball his lead foot grabs the ground and the back foot turns that's the same thing that's the same mechanic you need for punching you got to create torque so one foot must hold the ground while one foot spirals so to do that you have to have weight in one leg. So what I teach is both. You know, I teach how to weight yourself in your front leg where your back foot is up and how to weight yourself in your back leg where your front foot is up. So that's the kickstand balance. And to me, that's one of my solutions because I've been to many fight gyms and nobody teaches it like like Burley. So that's one of my uh, evolutions to footwork. And, and, and it's true. It Light has a whole bunch of real unique drills that he uses to teach this stuff to people that I've never seen anybody else use. I would, when I was saying it's like a cat stance, I mean, like structurally, when I was looking at it, it looks similar to kind of your beginning point of the kickstand balance looks similar to what, if you're a traditional martial artist, what would be termed a cat stance, right? It's, yes. Well, do you get that? See that? See that? That's the other side. See, that's the other side. Like I said, boxers predominantly use the back foot up. You'll rarely see a boxer with the, with the front foot up. And I look for it. And the ones that do it are great. Mayweather does it. But look at most boxers. Just look at their feet. Like the front foot, it's like holds the ground. And it's all about the back foot up. 
But then you look at Bruce Lee, who used the cat stance, which was his back foot was planted and his front foot was up. So that was my connection of bringing both worlds together. Boxers are rarely using what we would call the cat stance. They will use back foot up, weight to the front, chasing you down. Bruce Lee had, or Santi, I'm not going to even say Bruce Lee, because in Kung Fu, they call it the Santi stance, which is in Shen Yi, where the weight is to the back and the front front heel is raised. So it pushes all of the, it pushes 70% of your weight to your back leg. That's the cat stance. And then you shift it to where you push 70% to the front and lift up the back. I don't know what they call that in Chinese. (laughs) But in boxers, the boxers, that's more to me. That's the boxer stance. That's the one the boxers use mostly of. Because like I've trained boxers and I would tell them, yo, when you step right, you should put your right foot down. But they will not. They have been trained to keep that back foot up that they rather fuck up their balance than just put the back foot down when they step right. So I have to retrain that out of most of the boxes I've trained to do the kickstand balance. I had to teach him the cat stance. Like, that's not the only leg you got. You have another leg. <laughs> and you should work on that leg too, you know. And so I've taught most of my boxers how to do the cat stance, which is way more relevant in Kung Fu. And, and, and this is another place where kind of your education in both the Chinese yeah. arts and yeah. 52 and boxing, you can give an education to people that no one else can. I'm not trying to ball wash you, bro, but I mean, I'm just... No, 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 no man. <laughs> I, listen, uh, as we say, collect your flowers while you're still alive. Don't wait till I'm under the ground to lay a reef on my on my stone. I'm giving everybody they flowers now. You got a great podcast. Your questions, your understanding of martial arts is big. Your, contrib- your contribution to 52 by having a true story to help uh, uh, bring relevance to our art is needed. And we, I thank you. So you get your flowers today. Bro. All right. All right. <laughs> thank you for my flowers. So, That's right. so there's, there's Kenny Weldon, if you're a boxing fan. I mean, all my stuff loops back to boxing. I'm not really a traditional martial artist. But Kenny Weldon does a whole lot of drilling to get his his boxers on their back foot. This is something that he, mm. this is something that he tre- stresses over and over and over again. This, this back foot He's emphasis. He's a master. And, and so again, this is not something that, that light is making up. Thank you. This is a, this is a legitimate thing that goes way back into, way into back. boxing. Yes. Um, yes. I, yes. I, I think it's been lost. I think in Wilson, when you talk to Wilson, he's like the bitter old white man from Virginia because I'll call him and like, yo, you know, I've been watching Javante Davis. Oh, he fucking sucks. Don't tell me about that. <laughs> he, he won't even look at these. New, and I try my best. I'm like, yo, Mr. Wilson, you must check out Laura Chinko. You got to check him out. He'll see him and then I'll talk to him. He said, that's what you think is good. He spreads his feet too. And he's right. You see this new fighting boxing stances. Their feet are spread apart. Go back to the 19th. Their feet were right up under them. Look at Hurricane Carter. He would never use a fight sand so spread. Never. Never. Because it takes away power. The further you spread your legs away from your shoulder, you compromise your power. And it took me knowing this stuff to understand why Wilson is so bitter. 
And like what you're talking about, uh, uh, your boxing coach can break down is because the old people that knew this stuff, they died. And if they didn't apprentice nobody, guess what happened? They lost it. And that was the greatest thing that Wilson told me that I must put in this podcast, that Wilson, he disrespected everything. It wasn't a lot of arts he liked. liked. So like Wing Chun, he was like, that shit's bullshit. So, <laughs> so I wouldn't bring to two. I didn't want to tell him about 52 because I knew what he was going to say. I just knew in my head he was going to be like, that is straight bullshit. And we sitting there one time, we smoking on the joint, and we watching the boxing fight, and I tell him, I was like, I know 52 blocks. And he looked at me, his eyes got big. He said, you know 52 blocks. I was like, I know 52 blocks. He was like, show me. And I got up, I showed him some moves, and he got in my face, and he said, let me tell you something. Good information has been, has been taken to the grave by men, and people have lost out. You have a fucking duty to put that information out. You need to make a DVD, something. You need to do something to put in. That's how the DVD was born, by Mr. Wilson Pitts. And he is correct. A lot of the information that boxing is has been lost because the guys that knew it were either too selfish or died too fast or didn't have an apprentice. And I seen it to myself. It's a good story. I'm, I'm living in lower Manhattan. I'm in Georgia now. But I'm living in lower Manhattan. I come outside my building across the street. I see this black guy and this Puerto Rican guy. They're slap boxing. And then the black guy breaks out some awesome 52. I was like, oh, my God. I got my camera with me. I'm going to interview this brother right now. I run across the street. I said, excuse me, gentlemen. I don't mean to break up this nice thing you got going on. But I noticed you, sir, as you started getting in, you started doing the 52 blocks. He was like, yes. I was like, that's dope. I am like Burley. I put out videos on YouTube. Can I get a quick um, interview with you for the young brothers watching? He said, man, fuck them young brothers. I ain't here to see no <laughs> shit. Yo, yo, yo. My heart dropped to my feet. And when it came back up, it was an angry heart. And I said, this niggas like you are the reason why good information dies. You keep that bullshit. And I left him standing there because I wanted him to try to fight me because I was going to show him some real action. But he just kind of looked at me, walked off, and I went my other way. But it's, it's fools like that. Those fools exist, too. There are fools like that that talk. And it's even still to this day in this 52-block nation and culture that I've tried to erase is fools like that that still talk that mystical, this shit is magic and few will come and only a few are chosen. <laughs> Fuck all that dumb shit. <laughs> you know, every man has a right to all information available on this planet. Every man has a right to it. And it's all it's, it's information. Yeah, man, and that's what that's what's killing the Chinese arts too, is this whole like we gotta keep fifty percent, seventy percent of it secret and all this nonsense, man. And and so people that's why all these traditional martial artists are getting beat up by by MMA guys because they that's don't know right. How look to at fight. look at them now. Look at look at the karma. You said it right there. That is a true example. Look at the karma that has been brought about by their secrecy shit. They got an MMA guy totally wasting them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they, see, what happens is in 48 Laws of Power, it says uh, um, um, one law, uh, uh, avoid, uh, avoid building castles and pretty much like keep your ears to the streets. When you go into that secret society shit, 
you disconnect from the world. So you, the world is changing around you while in your little secret society. So by the time y'all come out the cave with y'all beepers, we got cell phones. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> man. There, there's the there's no safety in secrecy or 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 mysticism or or you know like keeping all this stuff to yourself or or being holed up in your little safety palace. You got to get out there, like you said, keep your ear to the streets and give your stuff away like you do. So I want to get I want to get a little bit into some of the street outreach you do and end talking about the the good work you do on the streets of New York, because I know you do a lot of work that people don't know about as well. Absolutely. You're 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 out there teaching kids for free and doing outreach with kids that couldn't maybe get in or afford to pay. And you're, you're bringing the, the next generation of players up. So let's talk yeah. about that a little bit. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. Well, you know, that's, that's part of the mission that Wilson Pitts sent me on. And, you know, and, you know, he was that, that's part of it is that uh, my teacher told me, he said, um, there's, there's two people that can become good fighters. You know, or, you know, or they're in two circumstances. He said, either you're extremely rich or you're extremely poor. And he said, both of those people have the commodity of time. So sometimes the extremely poor come. And when they come, they pay with their time. The people that have money pay with money. So I've, I, I, I've, I've been known to take on all of the stragglers because you pay with time. If you can't pay me in money, I want you in class every day, nine o'clock, no excuses. You miss class, you, you know, you, you're out because you ain't got no money. So I want your time. And I, I you know, I, I started with this young man named King Sean. He was coming to me. He was 14. He was 14, sneaking from New Jersey on the, on, on, on the path train to come to New York. And now he's a grown man. He has a kid, a wife, and he's a straight, uh, add-on to our society. He was a, he was a well-shaped, uh, rounded man because of his years of dealing with me. He now calls me Pops. He asked me if he can call me Pops. I said, go for it, even though it makes me feel kind of old and I don't like it, <laughs> I'll take it from you. But um, that work there can't be like, you know, I haven't made a million dollars with 52 yet, but uh, I have been enriched with stories like that. Like, I'm in, I've, planted myself in a lot of young men's lives without even knowing because of YouTube. You know, we didn't have this machine of YouTube when I was coming up, but I've, I, I got on YouTube at the right time and I used it correctly. And because of it, I get emails all the time. I had one guy, he told me, he said, I started watching you when I was 12. I'm now 22 and you're still putting out videos. Keep going, like and I'm like, hey, fuck it, yeah, wow, that's crazy. <laughs> like he grew up with me, like I grew up watching Looney Tunes, like that shit is fucking incredible. Like I'm somebody's Looney Tunes, like you know what I'm saying? Like somebody <laughs> grew up watching me, like that's fucking, that's like that's way more than money. Like that, that's 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 the, that's the essence of being the gods in human flesh that we are, and um, so my outreach work i love it you know i don't you know i put videos out on there like people like i gave you know i would give away food and toys and stuff and the good thing about videoing it that i always liked is like chain reaction like humans are monkey see monkey do so if i can be the catalyst 
to get this shit to become something that, you know, everybody in a good position can do, you do it. You know, I was in a very good position, you know. I'm a Detroit Red type of person, Malcolm X flip, which is I sold drugs. I didn't have a job and I didn't glorify it. But because of it, I had a lot of downtime and I had a lot of money. So I, I paid it forward. And I think, you know, Detroit Red for you people, you you historically ignorant <laughs> fools out there. That was Malcolm X's street name before he became Malcolm X when he was living the 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 criminal life. Boom. Yes. <laughs> Boom. That's right. Give him some schooling. That's I'm right. School these fools. Because I bro, because I know people are gonna be like, Detroit Red? What's Detroit he Red? talking about? What the fuck is light talking about? You smoking weed again? <laughs> <laughs> he must be smoking while you're doing this podcast. No, you are correct. Detroit Red was the alter ego of Malcolm X. He was and this is, see, this is what, you know, my teacher told me, he said, man, if you live long enough, you'll be the good guy and the bad guy. So we got to remove labels. You know, we're going through phases in life. Now, there are certain people that are hardwired to do fucked up things. And, you know, we got laws that hopefully will catch up to them. And we also have charismatic energies in the universe that will catch up to them. But, you know, you can't, you know, I don't fault myself for what I did, even though I do, you know, it wasn't right. You know, I don't, I, it wasn't right, so I don't glorify it. Like, Rob Mel, the other guy that was in 52 and why I broke away from him is because they wanted to glorify with, like, this fake, fake gangsterism. I don't even know how the word gangster exists. I still don't know what a gangster is. Like, <laughs> I, you know, I know criminals, like, I know criminals, but... Where somehow gangster morphed out of the word criminals because gangsters are criminals. They're just criminals in suits. You know what I'm saying? You put a suit on, now you're a gangster. No, you're a criminal. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And I'm from that side. I'm a, I'm, I'm a hardcore criminal, so I know another criminal when I see one. So that's where we are, not gangsters. Like, you know, so I think that terminology helped pervert this young generation that are like, you know, you see rap. Rap has to be like the most dangerous profession to be in like when i was young i wanted to be a rapper if i had to be young now i would want to be a doctor because i'd be like these rappers get killed <laughs> fuck rappers <laughs> you get a rapper you say a rap you get a bullet fuck this shit like i'm gonna go be a doctor like like it's crazy because this whole thing has been perverted of that that side and malcolm x wouldn't have been malcolm without detroit because of detroit when he became Malcolm, he could understand his faults. He can understand what it is to really ascend and elevate and reach enlightenment. But, you know, it's like, it's like going up to the, it's like, it's like going to the, uh, 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 the attic of your house. You got to go through a level. You don't just go to the attic. You got to go upstairs and then you go in the attic. And that's the same thing as ascending. Like, so he ascended through the Detroit red to Malcolm X and, you know, so, I never, you know, I never really uh, glorified that. But at that time, I was doing very well, you know. And so I paid the forward. I bought toys. I felt, I fed the neighborhood. I fed the community, you know, that I was, you know. I'm going to say I was ripping the park because I was more of a weed salesman. So, and but I sold crack too. So I, I also destroyed my own community. So at some point, you know, you got to give back. It's all giving and taking. It's not like just because you, you fucked up your house, you can't clean it up. Like, you can go on a, an emotional tangent, slap the dishes out the, the dishwasher, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and then after all, after all of that, you can shake it up, come back to yourself, and clean your house back up and get it looking like you didn't even have an, an emotional tantrum. 
So that's the same thing with yourself. You can clean up. You know, you can't can't beat yourself up for going left because you can't go right. And I'm a true example of it. Like I dream of being a famous 52 block fighter. When I was 12 years old, I know the age, I, in my mind, I said one day I wanted to be one of those 52 block fighters, like the guys from my neighborhood that everybody knew of. Like you see that guy, like, yo, stay away from Shot Meek, boy. He, boy, put knuckles all upside your forehead. <laughs> like, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I wanted to be one of them. And guess what happened? I, I'm him. So I've learned life is manifestation. Your brain is your strongest asset, and it can literally bring about whatever you want. You know what I'm saying? This, this phone that I'm talking on right now was somebody's mental thought, and then they made it a physical product. That's how strong your manifestation is. So learning to fight is really easy. Off the, off the martial art tree, learning how to kick a man's ass is probably like the smallest branch off the tree. There are bigger branches. There's health. There's like I'm 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 damn near 50 and I can still do a backbend. Like I'm very flexible. And I know men from my area, they cannot do backbends, nor could they even get down the low walk. Like their bodies, their temples have become their prisons. And martial art will keep your temple alive. So you see these motherfuckers at 65 years old still doing triathlons and shit. I'm gonna be that dude. That's what martial arts. That's what. That's what I aspire for martial arts. Now I'm not even trying to kick nobody's ass. I be put. I already told people. I, I hung up my gloves. I'm retired. The only way you can get a fight out of me is if you try to hurt me. <laughs> Other than that, I'm you know, or I spar you as student teacher. Um, you know, I'm sparring you to teach you something. Other than that, I'm off to like, I'm trying now to see myself at 60 years old you know, still being able to do 15 rounds of boxing. Like, that's my goal now. Well, it's, you know, it's it's the whole yin-yang, light-dark evolution from one to the other. Uh, you know, you, you, you saw the error of your ways. You, you, you repented and you gave back, man. That's what life is about. Yeah. I mean, I, I think... It's so critical because we can be so judgmental of people who came up hard, right? Like it's that's that's part of life. I, I don't tell my backstory. I'm not going to do it here, but there, in many ways, I came up hard. I was talking about it with my aunt a little while back. How whack our family was, and and you, there's lessons you learn that way that you can't learn any other way. And then you can pass that knowledge on and hopefully you can keep your kids and everybody else from making the same mistakes you made. That's right. That's right. And, and, and see, and that's some, the best good guys are bad guys, period, period. That's why when the, I was watching this thing on uh, the, the casinos, how the, they had this one guy, he was ripping the casinos apart. When they caught him and gave him his time, they said, listen, you can jump in that cell and do 50 years or you can work for us. And because of him, the casinos are almost airtight. You can barely cheat them. They went and got a criminal to become the good guy. See, the best good guys were once bad guys. Quote bad guys. These are all labels. And bad guys we mean by hard times, whatever the case may be. You know, so don't mean like you're around slapping babies. Not like that type of bad guy. <laughs> you know, like you came not nothing, nothing that yeah, extreme. Nothing that extreme. Like you came apart, <laughs> you made social drugs, Mike Tyson snatched a couple of pocketbooks. Like I'm talking about that type of stuff. Like you can come out of that, and because of that, it will make you better if you don't 
if, 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 if you know, everything has a silver lining. If you look at the yin and yang of it, you can see like, no, crack dealing wasn't the best thing about it. But if you look at the way I've marketed 52, guess where I got that from? <laughs> and by far, I have marketed 52 by better than any man that's ever stepped up. I mean, I'm marketing, you know, like to get people to want to look, to take a look that, you know, I've learned that from hustling. And so it doesn't always have to be a bad thing. It's the labels that we put on it. We say, oh, that's bad. Oh, that's good. We, our brains are too small to go down to, to really know the rabbit hole of good or bad. It's like this, um, you're saying from this uh, uh, Buddhist monk, this guy ran up to him and said, hey, Buddha, I was um, catching some fish. And next thing I know, when I caught up the fish, I looked down and I found this, you know, five pound piece of gold. I am fucking rich. My life is great right now. Right. And the Buddha said, we'll see. He came back a week later and said, Buddha, my friend found out about the gold. He stuck me up. He killed my wife. <laughs> took the gold. Is my life over? And the Buddha said, we'll see. Three weeks later, he came back and said, yo, they caught the guy who uh, took the gold. And even though my wife died at the funeral, I met this other lady that is really my soulmate. We are married and we're, about, we're thinking about starting the family. Is life going to be good now? And the Buddha monk said, we'll see. So with the whole thing is, you can never know what's good or bad. Uh, Jay-Z told the story about how when he made his first million, he brought his nephew a car and his nephew took the car and wrapped it around the pole and killed himself. So you got to think, if Jay-Z never got rich, would his nephew still be alive? So you can never... Deep. Yeah, you can never know what's good or bad. You can never know. So just wanted to grow on. <laughs> yeah, all right. So this is that's a good, good spot to cut yes, with sir. some deep philosophical stuff about giving back to your community, people. Take note, pay attention. Even, even us nasty hood rats, we can give back in some way. Right, you got something to give. We could start a podcast or put out a YouTube channel. This is a this is an era of unprecedented opportunity, yes. man. At its highest, use it, use it for good, not evil. Uh, so so like do get plug your YouTube yes, channel, uh, plug your plug your website, plug all your stuff, and then and then we'll okay. wrap. Okay, well, lightburly.com is the website where you can get books. Uh, I got downloads that instructionals, my seminars. I'm, you know, I got apparel, but but because of COVID, it's kind of slow. But I'm gonna have my hats and t-shirts up there. But right now we got the books, we got flashcards. Um, you can find out what I'm doing on, on my, uh, 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 my website, my YouTube channel is 52 blocks info, all one word. I got over 3000 videos and pretty much I've already given the game away. If you, you know, you can sign up, but if you're a smart man, you won't even have to pay. Cause I've, you know, there's 3000 videos up there. Uh, I also have my online course. If you want the Pacifics learn dash martial arts all one word dot com learn dash martial arts all one word dot com twenty dollars a month five hundred lessons complete all five hundred get certified like burly get certified by light burly himself i will fly to your town my my one of my students that did complete the course he was in denmark 
will you think like Burley did? I flew to Denmark. So I ain't playing with you. If you do all 500 lessons, I'll be knocking on your door. Um, my uh, Yahoo is lightburly at Yahoo. Lightburly52 blocks at Hotmail. On Facebook, I'm Charlie Burley. At Instagram, lightburly52. I drop videos every day. Follow me. Learn something. Salute.